What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Before we get into this awesome episode with Dan Gosling, trumpeter and inventor of Chop Saver, uh, I wanted to tell you three things that I think you'll be interested in. Number one, if you go to chopsaver.com and you buy yourself some Chop Saver and you enter the coupon code SPIT, uh, you'll get 20% off of your purchase there. Number two, make sure you stick around all the way to the end of the episode because my mastering engineer, Brandon Yoakum, is going to have a very special secret message for you that you do not want to miss out on. And number three, I want to take just a second to thank our sponsor for the podcast, Houghton Horns. For those of you that aren't familiar, Houghton Horns is a family-owned business in Keller, Texas, and their mission is to spread the joy of music through providing the highest level of products, services, and resources to the brass playing community. As brass players, the mouthpieces we choose will have a huge impact on the sound our instrument produces, as well as how easy it is to produce that sound. Unfortunately, many of us find ourselves playing on mouthpieces that are ill-suited for our needs, making things harder than they need to be. If you're interested in trying out a new mouthpiece, Houghton Horns is the place to go. They have a wide selection of mouthpieces to choose from, including Giddings, Greg Black, Pickett, and many more. At Houghton Horns, they strive to put service to the customer as their top priority. So whether you are a beginner student, a hobbyist, or a full-time professional, Houghton Horns can help you find what you are looking for. Go to HoughtonHorns.com for more information. Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and today I am joined by Dan Gosling, the chop saver guy. Uh, Dan and I go back to the beginning of my professional career as principal trumpet with the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra. Um, Dan uh, lives in Indianapolis, I assume. I, I don't know if you may have moved since we've talked last. No, no, we're, we're, we're still in Indy. Yeah, yeah so Dan sub sure. with the orchestra. He's a trumpet player, sub with the orchestra a few times. I'm pretty sure we played a Miami Heat, Indiana Pacers uh, national anthem. Oh, we yeah. did. That's right. That was a yeah. highlight. That Got was to cool. Walk. I think LeBron like walked right by us. Or he sweat on both of us, I'm sure of it. I, I don't think I've washed that tux or whatever that black that, the black shirts we wore yeah. that day. Yeah. So some really that's a happy some memory. really fond memories for sure. And um I wanted to provide just another opportunity. Dan's been doing the chop saver thing, telling the story, talking about it for a very long time. And so I thought just here's another opportunity to share with my audience. Um I think we should go further back though than that. But before we get to all that, thank you so much sure. for being on my show. I appreciate it. I'm I'm honored. I'm honored. I love the name of your show. It's hilarious. Um, you know, people outside of music may never get it, but that's okay. They don't have to. Um, yeah, you've you've created a really cool branding just with the name of your of your podcast. Yeah, Kathleen and I were we were talking about names. This is like before obviously it had a name and we were, I mean, it's like, I don't want to do the Ryan Beach show or the Ryan Beach. I was like, yeah. I can't, I'm not that kind of person. Um, and so she was like, well, maybe you could come up with words that aren't real, like trumpeting, trumpet, you know, trumpeting trumpeters and whatever that Facebook group is, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. And then yeah. I think, I don't know how, but I literally was just like, what about that's not spit, it's condensation. And then we kind of <laughs> laughed about it. We kept coming up with names. And then like 10 minutes later, I was like, 
Honestly, I think that's the name. <laughs> that's it. Uh, you just keep coming back yeah. to it. Yes, it's well. I talked about it. Um, part of you know, I got many versions of my story, or many sub sub stories of the overall story. But one of the sub stories is you know, coming up with the name Chop Saver, and um, we still have a whole list on my wall of names that we were writing down. Um, you know, lip saver, lip tuner, lip toner, um, upper lip. I mean, just <laughs> and we just kept coming back to, to job saver. So, but you have to do that. You kind of have to go through those iterations. And if one just keeps coming up, that's probably the winner. Well, um, do, I, I'll put it up. To, I'll give it to you. Do you want to start with right at Chop Saver where we're at, what it is, or do you want to kind of give some well, of your I mean, like, I can, I playing can, backstory? I can really quickly just do the you know the playing story. Okay. Um, I mean, I grew I grew up in Elkhart, Indiana, which was a cool place to grow up. Although it's not like I was visiting the Bach <laughs> Factory every week. I, I think I went there maybe twice. Um, had a very a great uh, role model in my both my private trumpet teacher and who was also my high school band director, but I studied with him before I got to high school. His name was Jerry Nipful. Uh, Jerry's still around. He still does some private teaching in Northern Indiana. Um, he's kind of old school. He was a cornet soloist from Canada and he came to Butler University to study. So that's what brought him to the States. Um, he, uh, actually played an in Indianapolis symphony and he was a band director in Indianapolis for many years. And then he became the band director of what was then, I believe, Elkhart High School before it split into two schools. So I attended Elkhart Central High School, but Jerry, like I said, was my private, uh, private trumpet instructor since, you know, like sixth grade through sophomore year in high school. And, you know, he, again, he was old school. He, he had all the Herbert L. Clark stuff nailed. Uh, he was a great player in his own right. So it was very traditional, Arbins, Clark, um, you know, Getchell before that. But, you know, within a couple of months, he kind of, he said, you know, you're, you're pretty good at this. And I kind of realized, yeah, I, I, I am kind of good at this. <laughs> this is, this is fun. And, and yet, I, you know, I went through all the, you know, not the, the kind of things that young players go through, you know, the mouthpiece slipping down too far to play high. And, and uh, he kind of warned me about that and let's get that back on track and, so there are some ups and downs there, but basically my, my trajectory from like sixth grade through high school was, was pretty, I don't want to say easy, but it was like, boom, 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 boom. And I'm, I'm playing all this stuff. Um, I, Jerry was very fond of, of travel. He would take his bands to Europe for a while that he was trying to go every year. And they realized that was just hideously expensive. So then he would go like every other year, every third year. So I, I went to Europe with a band that Jerry was conducting uh, three times, twice in high school, and then once after I graduated as a soloist. Um, I even played the Carnival of Venice in Venice. Wow! When I was, um, I guess I would have been a freshman, and I was too young to know how hard that was. Sure, sure. I mean, this stuff had kind of come pretty easily for me. It was just this natural progression and just sort of like, I don't remember being nervous about it. I don't remember just, just kind of did it. And, um, uh, you know, range wasn't, I mean, I wasn't like crazy range, but it just, you know, had a lot of facility. And I think when I got into high school, the expectations were because I was kind of like this minor celebrity in this little town, right? Elkhart, Indiana, big, big music town. And I was, my mother taught piano lessons and um, 
I was, I'm the youngest of five kids, and they were all musical. So we were kind of a known quantity in the, in the community. And yet I was the only one that really was going to pursue it hardcore as a profession. And um, so that's what I did. But when I, looking back, I think once I kind of put that pressure on myself, it became less um, natural. I, th- I started thinking about it a little bit too much. I got, I still wanted to do it. I still loved playing. And Jerry, not only did we tour and travel, he also brought in guest soloists. So I was, once a year, he would bring in you know, a very young Alan Vizzuti mm. or uh, Marvin Stamm in his prime or Lou Soloff, you know, just after the blood, sweat and tears years come in and, and solo with band, whether it was the concert band or the jazz band. But I was really immersed in what, you know, this was what, what this could be, what, what a career in playing the trumpet was, would be like. And it seemed very glamorous to you know, see these guys come in and, and um, yeah, I want to do that. But then trying to like figure out how that really works, how to really perform on that level day after day after day. Um, that's when it got interesting for me. No, so I still, you know, went, persevered through some ups and downs in my high school years, but the tra- trajectory was still, you know, I was still head and shoulders above everybody else. And Jerry used to say, you're the best student I've ever had. And he still says that, you know, God bless him. Um, very influential in my life, but I did not go to Indiana university. Um, the world famous IU school of music was three hours south of us. And my older siblings had all gone to IU, but I was, I used to go to this band camp called Smith Walbridge band camp. People of my generation from this part of the country might remember that it was run by the, uh, Gary Smith was the band director at the university of Illinois. I'm pretty sure his father started the camp. Um, and Jerry, my teacher would teach her every summer. So I would go there. And one summer, Gary Smith approached me and said, Hey, you, you sound great. Are you going to pursue, you're going to go into music? I said, yeah. He said, well, I'll, pro- I'll probably end up at IU. He said, have you considered University of Illinois? Well, I hadn't. I mean, this was you know, way before <laughs> the internet. You only knew about these schools if you saw a brochure yeah, right. or if you heard about it from an older sibling. And again, so this, whereas IU was kind of a um, huge, huge, one of the biggest music programs you know in the world. And um, I did audition there, and they were very nice to me, but I kind of felt like, I think I'm just going to be another player here. In the meantime, I had at Gary's invitation, and um, so at that time, David Hickman was there, and Ray Sasaki was there, uh, but I didn't know who those guys were. But um, you you and I were just talking about marketing hooks before we started our conversation here. David Hickman had a really good marketing hook at the time. He had an album that he'd put out. And it had like you know the, the Credo on there and the, the Halsey Stevens and you know these are still I think iconic recordings of some of these pieces. And I heard this album. And I was like, "Holy crap! Who is this guy?" <laughs> I mean, and he's not in Indiana. He's in Illinois. And I never. So I did a little research, what little I could. Visited visited the school. Uh, actually, I think it was the my junior year of high school. I remember going through there with my mother on spring break. Met David. Just played some duets with him. And then I said, when do I come back to audition? And he said, well, you just did. You're, you're in. So I was like, wow. There we go. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. I mean, they made it very, they, they recruited me. They made it 
just made me feel very welcome. And um, so that's where I was going to go. So that's where I did go. I didn't, I never looked back. I didn't even really consider IU after that. Um, so enrolled at Illinois in 1980, was there for four years. Now, it was an interesting time to be there because David left. Um, well, interesting, my freshman year, I remember, he took a sabbatical. So one of the semesters, he was just gone. And then the second year, after the second year, he was really gone. Mm-hmm. That's when he went to Arizona, Arizona State. So I only had like three semesters with him. Um, Michael Tunnell taught there for part of that time. Uh, and I had some time with Ray Sasaki. And so there was, and then a couple other people came in to, for filling in these gaps. So there was actually five teachers there at one time. And I was playing a lot. I was playing in brass quintet. I was playing in symphonic band. I was playing um, every. I was playing in basically everything you could play in, except the marching band, which was ironic because Gary Smith, the marching band yeah. conductor, recruited <laughs> me. And bless his heart, he never held that over me. I just didn't want to do marching band. Didn't do it. I think everyone else I knew, even some of the performance majors, uh, were doing marching band. Um, some of them really loved it. I just I didn't do it. But everything else. Quintet, trumpet ensemble. Looking back, you know, that was a double-edged sword. That was that was good and bad. I learned a ton of repertoire. I learned how to you know, sight read. I learned styles. I learned how to be comfortable in all kinds of situations. What I also probably did was played too much. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, we were we were talking about how to practice. There wasn't a whole lot about back then. There wasn't a whole lot of talk about. You didn't have. <laughs> I mean, I, you know. You've you've seen some of Tom Hooten's mm-hmm. content, I'm sure, and how prolific he's been, how giving he is, and how amazing that is. For me, you know, in the day, that would have been like Bud Herseth, you know, doing like a conference call every week or, you know, whatever whatever technology there might have been back then. It just didn't exist. Yeah, right. And so Tom and and just Tom's just one of many, you included, that is putting out amazing information about how to play the trumpet or how to play any instrument that didn't exist so you were kind of just like okay here's your recital here's the next piece well you're having some issues with that here's what i do um and again great players great teachers at these institutions but it was a time of a lot of ups and downs i mean i i obviously i i graduated from u of i and was happy with that experience overall. But there was there was some stuff there that um, was difficult and actually ended up shaping me for what I ended up doing. I did go to Northwestern uh, for a master's and again, had a, had a good enough day. So when I played for Mr. Chickwitz that day, I was uh, you know, invited to have a, uh, do my master's in 1984 slash 85. And at that time it was just a one year right, program. Right. Um, and that was a very, um, what's the word, solidifying, codifying uh, experience. The, the the nine months I had with him sort of helped me make sense out of all the things I had little bits and pieces of. And he very much had a routine and a, and a way and just that that almost fatherly or grandfatherly almost approach to his students that whatever hangups you were having, you just, you know, just hearing his voice. You know, the people that did study with him will we'll talk about this. Just just being in his presence took off that first layer of anxiety just by his presence. Then, you know, 
from there, all the teaching, all the, the methodology, the, 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 you know, the airflow, the, 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 the air patterns, the, the buzzing, the, all those things would take hold because you just trusted this man mm. so much. I mean, why wouldn't you? I mean, his, I mean, his, his resume spoke for himself, for, for itself as a player and the people that had come through his studio. Again, this was, you know, mid eighties. So the kind of people that had just come through his studio were like Charlie Duvall and Tom Rolfs and Bruce Briney and, you know, whole host of great players that I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting it. Um, please forgive me, all of you. But so that one year at Northwestern was very crucial for me, for my success as a player because um, moved to Indianapolis. Ironically, there was a lot more work to be had in Indianapolis I w- than in Chicago. And I was taking some auditions, but, you know, within a year's time living in Indianapolis, I was playing with a symphony orchestra, you know, a pretty good symphony orchestra. I was starting to sub with, I, I did some networking and um, got on the sub list for the Cincinnati Symphony and the sub list for the Louisville Orchestra. And um, there were some very fine regional orchestras in Indiana. Uh, there was some adjunct teaching opportunities at local universities. There, of course, the churches and some recording studio work. And within about a year, uh, I was basically full-time mm. employed as either part-time teaching or you know, full-time player. And so I said, well, I think I'm kind of doing what I set out to do. Do I have a full-time university job? No. Do I have a full-time uh, um, symph- symphony job? No. But I'm doing all those things, and I'm really enjoying the variety Um the quintets, the church jobs, the you know, the, sol- the occasional chances to, to solo or do chamber music. There was also a, a new orchestra forming at the time, uh, which became known as the Indianapolis Chamber Orchestra. So I was a founding member of that. So I was kind of a big fish in a littler pond. And as Indianapolis was growing at the time as a city, there was opportunity there. So two things happened. It was a very welcoming environment and not all markets are like that when a, a young musician moves in but a lot that is kind of on 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 you as the young musician how do you approach it are you an a-hole when you move into town <laughs> thinking that stuff is owed to you or are you willing to wait your turn and be supportive and get to know people as as people and i did that but also there were there were just it was a nice mix of people who were already established and there was actually room for me. There was a need for another good trumpet player in town. So that was very fortuitous for me to, to build a career. Um, we talked about the Indianapolis Symphony. That was my major, in any given year, that was where most of my income was coming from as a substitute or an extra player. And so that kind of leads into the Chop Saver story. So if you want to interject at this point, happy to talk about any uh, of that. Yeah, I mean... Otherwise, I- I've I was talking about this in a podcast episode or sorry a podcast uh, Instagram post that like when I first started interviewing people I would listen until I got like the thing I wanted to say because I wanted to be a good interviewer I always had you know right. the next question but now I'm really trying to just be present and to listen and stuff like that and so there were like 
15 questions that I can't, you know, I can't remember any of them. But one of them that does stick out to me that I'm kind of interested in right now is what you talked about, this sort of mental side of like you were too young to know it was hard. And I was talking about this with my wife last night that when, when I was in school, there was this sort of blind trust that like literally right before I got to Indianapolis, there was like this blind trust that I could just do it. Like there's nothing going to stop. Like things weren't hard. I had this weird level of trust in my abilities. But it's interesting oh. because none of it was founded in actual like knowledge. It was just, you know. <laughs> and so I'm, yeah. I've been on this pursuit now of how do I, it's almost as ex- exactly what you described, as I learned more about what I couldn't do and how this might work or what I struggled to do. Like I started thinking right. about the process so much more, like how do I have to think to get these things to work? And I saw progress, but right. I lost a little bit of that ease of just, I'm going to go for it. And so um, I'm kind of curious if we could sort of dig into this a little bit. My, what I'm coming to is I'm coming to like, our brain does need to think, but the simpler, the better. So we can kind of get out of our own way. I don't know if you have any experiences with losing it and then feeling like you maybe came back to some of that as you uh, progress throughout your career. Well, I mean, there was, you know, so I remember my first, and I'm not sure if this is the answer you're looking for, but what comes to my mind is, my first, uh, you know, it's and it's this whole, as you look back, as you look, not that we want to keep spending all our time in our past, because that doesn't get us anywhere, but you certainly want to look at your past and learn from it and see why certain things happened the way they did um, and how they're helping you now and how they helped you grow at the time. When I got to Illinois, David Hickman um, was having some playing problems. And he was the, he, you know, he, this is not a, I mean, it's not something a lot of people talk about and, and, but it's nothing he would deny either. He's cause he, um, he lost a lot of weight in that era when I first got to Illinois and it affected his chops in ways that he was not prepared for. And he had a particularly interesting, shall I say, recital, uh, where we all were like, wow. I mean, he, even David's mortal. I mean, he's <laughs> it, in some ways it, it it made him a better teacher. I think I'm sure it made him a better teacher because he was more empathetic. Because um, he was a very natural player, uh, and as some things kind of fell apart a little bit there, now clearly he he got it back together and had it went on to this amazing career. But I'm sure that uh, experience helped him as a player and a teacher. I know it did. But one of the things that helped him. And he told me about it was hypnosis. Um, He went to see a hypnotist. And he said it really helped clear out the crap in my head and and got him on a better frame. So I went to the same hypnotist. And I had a very, a pretty profound experience. Um, But it showed me just how elusive that Zen state or that, you know, the thinking but not thinking, the presence that you need uh, to really perform is how important that is. And I really experienced that. Now, of course, I was young and I thought, oh, back, you know, I'm, <laughs> I, it's all fixed, right? It's all, you know, that's all taken care of, don't worry. And probably went back to my old habits. I know I went to back to some of my old habits, but it did show me the power of, of, of the mind and the subconscious mind in ways that I you know, still experiment with, you know, to this day um, and made me very open to the teachings of, of Don Green and, and people like that. Um, but 
you do have to know you have to know how the trumpet works. You have to know how to play it for those times when you do kind of get off center. And when you, you know, how do I fix this? And of course, that's why we go to great teachers that can speed up that process. But ultimately, you've got to figure out you know, what works for you and what doesn't and pay attention to both of those things, um, whether it's through journaling or, you know, recording what you do or just being um, really aware of what you're doing. I'm not sure if that's answering your question at I all. I think it's, but that's, I don't know either. I think it's a great answer though. And it's why I believe so deeply in the work that I'm doing is because like, if we can, we do need to understand how things work. Like we can't be, in my opinion, we can't be the person that's just like, I'm going to rely on the fact that it will always work forever. Because when right. it doesn't, yeah. and I know there's a there's a, a trumpet player I know that I, I mean I won't use I won't use their name, but just phenomenally talented. But certain things didn't track the same amount as certain other things, and so they began to think there was like something wrong, maybe my embouchure, right. you know. So like basically right. self-diagnosed right. an embouchure change at a period of time where like, and and that player sounds beautiful now, right? So it's not like it just stopped, but that idea that some things take time and some things we need to understand why it's not working. But if we just choose to say, if I think about it too much, I will be paralyzed. I think there's right, a right. line. Analysis paralysis. Yeah, I sure. think there's a line. There has to, there absolutely has to be. And I was, you know, I was in Chicago at the time when, you know, Mr. Jacobs was still very active as a teacher. Um, and you know, wind and song, and and that made sense to me to a point. Like, if you have this really beautiful sound in your head, and everything will just fix itself. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I have I've had moments where I believe it, but <laughs> <laughs> and by the same token, if I'm just super analytical and like like which mouthpiece, and that doesn't work either. Yeah. I just think there's there's a there's a yin yang or there's a balance there between. I know how this works. I have techniques physical techniques whether it's good posture or good you know if you're if you've got a beautiful song in your head but you know the mouthpiece is off on the way well, on the corner and you've got terrible posture all you know the beautiful sound in your head isn't going to fix yeah. that there's certain things that that probably need to be addressed um and you've got to find that and some of those things come more naturally to other players another person that you know the, the two of the you know, the the pantheon of trumpet players for me are are Tom and Wayne Bergeron. They, they both happen to live and work in L.A. But the, what 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 makes them so similar is incredible ability, but also you know have worked like you know no one else to to achieve what they've achieved and and to try to and figure things out. Um, you know, Tom had a it talks about you know how difficult some of his college years were, and and figured some things out. You know Wayne had always had this ability to play high, but when he started getting hired on gigs, when when just playing high wasn't gonna wasn't enough. You know he he took lessons with Malcolm McNabb, and he started hanging out with Bobby Shue, and he I mean he's I just admire that so much. People that are that talented, but also have the work ethic to to really leverage that talent. yeah i mean my um, that's my experience i had just like a great embouchure and things just progressed and i sort of spent enough time that it kind of worked but and like you know somebody asked me once and i was talking about all this practice organization stuff they were like well like you succeeded like in your career without any of this doing any of this stuff and i just think like basically in my opinion 
the problem is, is that without understanding how your insurance works, you're just going to hit a plateau. Like it may take a very long time for you to hit that plateau. And maybe some people hit it as like a freshman and some people like me hit it right after you win a job. And it's like, cool, I achieved that thing. But like, where do I go now? And I don't actually have the understanding of how to do that. And if you're someone who's okay with that, I guess that's not a problem. But like, we should have the, like, I'm, I'm just pretty dedicated now towards figuring out what it looks like for me, obviously, to move forward and then trying to see, is there anything that's like like a principle, right? That we could all sort of, right. and I just think that's like why I'm so deeply, and I'm sure, you know, Tom, and like you're saying, all these guys who are sharing, because it's like, some of these things are so simple. It's not like everything is a complicated fix to it. And it, it's right, like, right, if right, you end, right. I, I notice I end up saying very similar things the very first time I talk to somebody some of that stuff could just be a video and like, you know. Right, right. Watch this. And, and then, then we'll talk, yeah. yeah do this. And like, yeah. that's what Don Green and, talks about. I just read the first chapter in Fight Your Fear and Win and he makes people take that survey for the same exact reason, right? right? So he can get a, like, they don't have to spend hours and hours it's and hard. hours trying to figure it out. So I just right. think there is right. a lot of value in trying to figure out are there commonalities between the struggles of people? Right. Yes, it's individual. Yes, they're going to have to find their best, but maybe the starting place isn't as far away from each other as we think it could be. Right, right, right. So as and it, you know sometimes I self edit as I do these kinds of things, but you know who am I? I, I let me just put this in a box and, we'll, and we can move on. I am not dissing you know Arnold Jacobs by you know by saying what I said. I'm just saying that and his his teaching you know people worship him the same way I worship Mr. Chikowitz, Um and for good reason. But I think with any teacher you've got to you've got to see what works for you. And discard totally. the rest. And to just say wind and song to me doesn't, it's not being honest. It doesn't cover the enormous spectrum of things that we have to have at least some um, um, competency in. Um, and it just because I know a lot of people just, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm hearing it. I'm hearing a great song in my head. I'm not, it's still not coming out. And they get frustrated. And I think there's just there's there's a balance there that 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 needs to happen. Now, if you're just overthinking, then someone like Mr. Jacobs was probably exactly yeah. what you needed, you know, to just like get it back down to basics. Like Charlie Geyer so, has told us the story of he that like he was in the CSO when Jacobs started teaching this way, and he said that right. Will Scarlett had a lesson with Jacobs on a Wednesday and then a following Wednesday. And the first Wednesday, it was all about breathing apparatuses and talking about your diaphragm and very, very technical. Like he apparently had an insane right. knowledge of the human body. Sure he did, yeah. And then supposedly yeah. the next lesson, he was all about wind and song, right? There was this massive shift. And Charlie tells the story that what happened that week was Bud was playing something like Pictures at an Exhibition or Mahler 5 or something that starts with the trumpet. And Jacobs was like, ah, that's amazing. And in that break, he goes up to him. He says, like, Bud, what are you thinking about when you do that? Like, what are you thinking about? And he and Bud kind of just like, like waved him off. He's like, why are you asking me this? And he's like, no, seriously, what are you thinking about? And Charlie would tell it as he was thinking, he might say, I'm thinking about filling up about 75% and then pressurizing, you know, whatever. And apparently Bud just goes, Jake, I'm just thinking about how it goes. And I think that's like immediately where the wind and song thing was born, at least the way Charlie tells it. Because his, yeah. And I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure there's a ton of truth to that. I mean, who's, you know, I, and I'll, I'll get to my, 
the Charlie Geyer chapter in my <laughs> life in a minute because it was profound as well. But um, that, yeah, I'm sure that is true. I'm sure there's, and yes, at some point you don't want to be thinking about too much technical stuff if you're trying to make beautiful music. But if you also don't know how you physically, how your body works with the trumpet to make that happen, I think you're missing, you're missing it. You're going to miss out on a lot. And I remember a lesson with Charlie when he said, you know, that that he de- he does think in technical terms uh, a great deal of the time to you know to to get through these crazy pieces that we're supposed to play. Um, and who's to argue with Charlie's result? I mean, and who's to argue with Charlie's result? Not as a, only as a player and as a teacher. I mean, my God. Um, but. So I only told the story. Yeah, I, I mean, guess I, I only told the story is actually it's I'm not gonna call it an overcorrection, but it almost seems as if it was like we were talking about this and we swung all the way to the other side. Right, right. <laughs> Instead right, of like right. meeting in the middle of yeah. just incorporating yeah. like you were saying, incorporating what's working for Bud into what we already do. And um, right. I mean, I grew up, I, I there's so much value to me in the wind and song thing because I believe ultimately that is that should be the end of the line. That should be the simplicity that we approach the trumpet with. It just may not be a it may not just the fix may not be think that song right and for some people it is but i would imagine you know i've listened to some uh like if we keep talking about tom i've listened to his podcast episodes it doesn't sound like just hearing the sound in his head was what was going to be there seemed to be some technical diagnosing needed for oh yeah yeah absolutely absolutely yeah um now so i'll weave that you know the trumpet and 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 my career and the Indianapolis Symphony, um, you know, so I'm I'm doing that for 20-ish years. I mean, I graduated in 85. And so what, it, what, what ended up happening was, um, since I had been playing a lot with the symphony, uh, there was a retirement in the section. And they also were looking for a music director. So they couldn't hire anybody but they need to fill the chair. And I've been playing with them enough. They said, Dan, would you, do you want a one year position? Would you fill out, you know, basically play third and some second trumpet for a, for a year, but this time you'll get a salary and benefits. And I was like, great. Um, salary and benefits and, and a paid vacation for the first time in my life. Um, so that's what I did. That's was 19, I like the 99, 2000 season. No, I guess it was 2000, 2001 season. Those are details. But anyways, you know, early, early 2000s. So that's, I did that one year. Um, they took they took their time hiring a music director. This was after Raymond Lepard retired. They said, hey, um, could you do that again? <laughs> could you, do, would you like do it for a second, another season? I said, well, what am I supposed to say? Of course. Uh, and I knew, you know, I think most people listening to this will understand the way symphony orchestras work, at least in this country, is you you take an audition. They rarely just hire someone like they did back in the old days. Um, you, I knew, and so I knew that going in, I was going to do this one-year position. At some point, they'll schedule an audition, and I'll, I'll give it my best and, and see what happens. Um, but I thought it would happen sooner, because <laughs> after second year, they said, hey, we've got a t- we've got, and so now they had Mario Gonzago as music director in place, and now, but they had a lot of vacancies pile up and they thought some of them were just more crucial. Basically, it was kind of a back-sided, back-ended compliment to me because 
they didn't feel like they were in any hurry to have the trumpet audition because the section was working pretty well and everyone was happy. We'll, we'll deal with that one later. We, but we got real problems over in the you know viola section or whatever it was at the time. So one year turned into three years. So I had a three-year stint as a full-time member of the symphony, of the Indianapolis Symphony. And, but that meant I had to turn down or say no to or try to squeeze in uh, the, whatever teaching I was still doing or whatever freelancing I was, the other jobs I was doing. And kind of got to the point where I, I couldn't do that much. And I felt like I'm, I'm kind of putting all my eggs in this one basket. And I hope, I hope, I hope I win the audition. Um, and that's when I started seeking um, people like Don Green, who was just, you know, one of the early people to use the internet, you know, for diagnostics and, and, and online products and um, uh, performance practice. And, and like we were talking about, you know, this fill out this form online and what kind of, a you know, where are you at right now as a, as a performer? What do you think about? Um, and I thought, well, I need, you know, this audition was finally scheduled for early May of 2004. So I've had this job for three years. I knew some great players were going to show up for this job. They also, it wasn't just third trumpet. They decided to make it assistant principal, which put a, a lot more, it put a different spin on the audition. And it was a different job than what I was currently doing, quite frankly. But I still thought, you know, I got to do this. I've got to give this my best shot. And I, I sought out not only mental coaching through Don Green, but went to see Charlie Geyer on numerous occasions that year. Um, and those were, you know, I hadn't really studied a couple of things. Hadn't, you know, I hadn't taken an audition probably in about 10 years, maybe even more. And as we all know, playing in an orchestra and taking an audition for an orchestra are Very completely different, different completely <laughs> different animals. As a good orchestra player, I, I know I, and I'd had some audition success in my past, but nothing, nothing to write home about. And so I had to kind of resurrect and figure out how do I keep playing the job and prepare for this crazy long list, which now had a lot of principal trumpet licks on it um, at the same time. So that's when I started seeing Charlie and the things that he taught me about um, efficiency of practice and, and, and mindset and, and just his knowledge of the excerpts was just mind-blowing. Um, and the things that I learned, so, you know, as we, well, I'm, I'm not, we're not sitting here having this interview because I won that job, obviously. <laughs> or if I had, we're not having this interview. My life is yeah. very different. Um, but what I did get out of that was a lot of mindset techniques and some trumpet playing techniques. I mean, incredible trumpet playing techniques and, and kind of a refresher course from Charlie is like what really needs to happen and, and why his students do so well in auditions um, and why they perform so well at, like on demand. Um, so the things that I learned in those many, many lessons I had preparing for the audition, even though I didn't win the audition, helped sustain me as a, as a player for the next 10 plus years while I built this business. But on a much, you know, I, I was still playing, but man, there were, there were times when I was really barely touching the trumpet because the, but because of the things I'd learned from Charlie, I was surviving. I was still I was still playing well enough that people didn't know the mm. difference. Now it finally got to the point where I, I've kind of had to, and COVID is part of that. But so let me back up. The audition comes. I'm, I give it my best shot. But this young man named Tom Hooten shows up at the same audition. 
And what are they going to do? I mean, Tom at that time was just, as he still does, you know, he had just, he'd been in the Marine band. He was about to win. Um, he'd, I think it, there was another job he had won, but he turned it down because he was in the Marine band. He clearly was the winner of our audition. Um, uh, so as I like to say, well, I didn't win it, but you know, I got beat by that guy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's, that's saying yeah. something. Um, and of course, he went on to the, has gone on to this incredible career, Atlanta and LA, and so. But I'm still, even though I knew they made the right the right choice, and it was it was tough because my colleagues were obviously pulling for me. They'd known me for many, many, many years, decades at this point. They wanted it to work out for me to win. I wanted it to work out. My wife wanted it to work out. We had a young son at the time. Um, he's now 22, but it just it was tough. It was it was brutal couple of weeks there um to have been in that environment and enjoying that job thought it was my dream job and it just didn't work out so what am i well you know i thought okay of course i will be go back to freelancing you know the 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 music world didn't dry up in those three years that i was in the orchestra there was there was still going to be freelance opportunities and the orchestra was still there would hire me as an extra and i could do some teaching and all that um it it didn't sound like what I really wanted to do, um, but it's what was in front of me. Until fate would intervene a couple of weeks after the audition, I was just hanging out one day with a friend of mine who happened to be one of my former students from Butler University. You know, I've, I've taught a fair amount, and some students, if I saw them on the street right now, I might not recognize them, might not remember their name. And then there's other students that become lifelong yeah, right, friends right. and we, we've all experienced yeah. this we have some students that just become they're special and you keep in touch and they're, they're longtime friends well that was the case with this young man wesley bullock and um wesley was one of the founding members of blast oh cool you're familiar with the the drum course he was in star of indiana when star of indiana was w- winning you know dci all those years um star of indiana turned into what they called brass theater where they were working with the Canadian brass. So they took the whole drum corps concept and brought it indoors. And then they went on to the blast, which was like a Broadway version, Broadway show version of, of drum corps. So Wes was very much involved in all that. And we had kept in touch and he was a dear friend and we're just hanging out at the house. He came by to visit a couple of this again, this couple weeks after the audition. And I'm just kind of still licking my wounds, feeling sorry for myself. And we're just having you know, random conversation about lots of things. And then at some point, he started talking about how he treated his lips from this marching band accident with Arnica. So this was, I, th- I think he was in the Brass Theater uh, iteration of, of Star of Indiana and all that stuff. And he was in a rehearsal. Someone, you know, runs into him, goes the wrong direction, whatever it was. Probably a color guard person ran into him. And he's got this horrible bruise on his lips. And I said, what did you do? He said, well, I used Arnica. And he's kind of looking at me like I'm supposed to know what Arnica is. I never <laughs> I hate when people do I that. never heard the word. And, and I said, what's Arnica? He said, well, it's this herb. It's used for bruising and swelling. It's a natural anti-inflammatory. You can buy it in a pill form or a topical. You can find it at health food stores. There are a lot of surgeons will use it for before and after surgery to keep the swelling down. It's amazing stuff. And I literally was like, something just told me I needed to pay attention. Well, it wasn't so much that. I just couldn't stop thinking about what he told me. And um, 
as it turns out, it was another mutual friend of ours, uh, Stacy Simpson, who's a freelancer in, in Louisville area, was working with his with the group at the time. I'm pretty sure Stacy was the one that told Wes about Arnica. So Stacy knew about it. Apparently, some people have known about this. I guess it's more common in Europe. Um, no one ever told me about it, something I probably would have used a long time <laughs> before if I'd known about this stuff. So that was how this all started. I was keeping a practice journal because of the audition, which had, which had just finished up. And so suddenly, my the next entry in my journal was something about um, uh, you know, talking to Wes, thinking about making a lip balm with Arnica. And I literally wrote that down. And it's funny, um, I recently, you know, as you, you invited me to tell the story, I've thought the story was important enough for me to kind of put into a, some sort of archival form. So I've actually been creating more content. Um, and the first thing I did a couple months ago was I did a five-part video series of basically, it's kind of boring, but it's, it's, it's the story of me just talking to camera. Um, and I posted the first, what I call the Chop Saver story. It's, it's on the Chop Saver website under Dan's blog. And um, it's just called Notes from Dan, the Chop Saver Guy, Episode 1, 2, 3, mm-hmm. 4, and 5. And I kind of tell this same story in 10-minute in chunks. Um, so this is kind of fresh in my mind because I just kind of did this for posterity and, and my, my, my mobile camera um, and for the 10 people that follow me to watch this again. But it's there if anyone ever wants to you know, reference the story again. So that's on the website. Um, encourage people to check that out. But it's essentially what I'm telling you now is that's when this all started. And so I had this idea to create a better chapstick, a better lip balm that would use Arnica. And at that point in time, that's all I knew. I didn't know anything about formulation. I didn't know anything about what other ingredients might go into it. I didn't have the foggiest notion about how to start a business, how to run a business, um, any of that stuff. So the next you know, 15 plus years, have been all of that. Um, coming up with the formula took me about two months. That was the easy part. <laughs> you know, coming up with something that was kind of effective and I give it out to my, you know, brass playing friends to get their feedback on it and realize, okay, this, I'm not crazy. This is actually really working for pretty much everyone who's tried it really says that it is significant improvement over whatever it is they had been using before, or if they even used anything. They'd never had that kind of relief, that kind of healing, that kind of, of speed of recovery without, you know, until they tried this goo that I'd come up with in my kitchen. So that part of the story is interesting in itself in terms of, you know, trial and error. Um, I had my own recipe books, you know, the cre- you're, you're kind of obsessed with this idea and you just keep trying to figure something out till it starts to take form and shape. And like I said, doing that, I thought was going to be the hard part. Looking back, it was actually the quickest. Now, building a brand and, and getting products into stores or selling online, um, you know, those are the kinds of things that I've been learning. Um, and having to relearn as marketing changes. I mean, when I came out with ChopSaver, YouTube did not exist. Right, right. Just to put some things in perspective, <laughs> uh, Facebook was not a thing, let alone Instagram and, and all the things that have spawned off of it. Um, so, but that was the that was the the thing that I went through the disappointment of this audition, 
something weird, a weird conversation turned into an idea, turned into a product, and has obviously now turned into my my life's pursuit. Um, Can I interject here real fast? And, Sorry. Oh, yeah, no, please no. do. Yeah. I'll, I, I I'll just want to catch you on. right at this part of the story because one thing that I have struggled with is this back and forth feeling of like making this decision to do something completely different than what it is. If it's at all related to... Um, like sort of a reaction to the thing that you just experienced or some sort of negative and then wondering like, did I make the right choice, right? Like, was I just like right. kind of mad? And if I would have just let it flow, like would I have just preferred, you know, if that makes sense, did you experience that no, at all? No, sure. I mean, I could have, well, I, it's, it's, I suppose it's possible I could have had the idea and I could have just like ignored it, but I couldn't. The idea was too interesting, was too, it just, it just wouldn't let me go. It was, it, and I think that's when you can, if it's something you can put off and procrastinate on, it's, it's probably not going to change your life. If the idea itself is just like, keeps hitting you in the head, or you literally can't think about anything else but that thing, then you've really got no choice. The choice has been made. Now we joke about, you know, my wife thought it was like midlife crisis, or it was like, you know, post-audition, like you said, I'm angry or I, I need something new to focus on. And I'm sure there's a, some truth to that. Um, you know, I was in my, you know, mid-40s. I was angry or disappointed. I did need something that something new to focus on. That's and I think that was all fuel. That and I don't see those as negative things. But if if after I, you know, maybe if I'd messed around for a couple of weeks and and I couldn't figure out the formula. Um then then I would have given up. But the formula just kind of kept coming to me. I mean, people would suggest things or, you know, there was no YouTube, but the internet was a thing. Google was a thing. And so I did some research pretty quickly and kind of knew where I was headed. I didn't set out to make, this is going to be an all natural organic product. It just happens to be yeah. that way. And I think that's a cool thing. I think that's a nice byproduct of my, of my, my process was to think, okay, Arnica is a natural anti-inflammatory. It comes from a sunflower. Uh, maybe some of these other things. And actually, it was another trumpet, but Dan Galando um, early on told me that he used shea butter. He's a big skier. I mean, you remember oh, yeah. Dan. Oh, yeah. Dan plays in Indianapolis. And uh, um, he told me when he goes skiing, he would just put straight refined shea butter on his face, on his face and on his lips when he was skiing. Again, I was like, what's shea butter? Never heard of shea butter. <laughs> So it was these things that I never heard of put me down this path of discovery of other natural things that I might put in this. And some of them were terrible. You know, one of them was, you know, don't, don't put, for example, thyme oil, you know, T-H-Y-M-E oil on your lips. I don't recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> Something tells uh, me you have, you yeah, know that, the answer to that one. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Don't do that. I'll save you the trouble. Um, and there are other, obviously we know there, there are other musician created products out there now. Um, and they're different from mine. Um, I don't, what I don't dis, if someone says, Hey, I use chapstick and it works for me. I'm like, fine. You know, I, I think you might want to try chop saver just to have, you know, the, the, uh, comparison you might find it better but if whatever if that's working for you great and if one of the other products is out there is it burt bees or anything else 
great. I, but I have my reasons for believing that this might still be a better option for you. And my reasons are um, this and this and this and this. And then after you've tried it, if it still doesn't work, you know, fine, we're still friends. Um, but when, when you have dermatologists recommend it or when you, you start getting um, emails or comments or testimonials from people who are on chemotherapy or have a particular like lupus or something that dries out their, their body on a constant basis and it's a real struggle for them. And when they write you, this, you, you know, your product has changed my life. Or because of my my chemotherapy was such a drag, but one thing I knew was was going to be okay was my lips weren't going to be chapped all the time. Or kids, that, the reason we got um, the interest of, of dermatologists was because of uh, the drug Accutane, which is a brand name. It's still the word we always use, though. The, the drug is called isotretinoin, but it's for severe acne. And if you know anyone who's ever had like really bad disfiguring acne. Oftentimes, uh, dermatologists will, will prescribe Accutane. Very strong drug. It does, you know, decrease all the oil and moisture-producing glands of your body to defeat the acne. Um, and for people that again have really disfiguring acne, it's, it's a it's a life-changing drug. Very powerful drug. And this one of the side effects is just chronically chapped lips. I mean, like you're just dried out everywhere. And so when a dermatologist discovered this product through a musician who happened to be one of their patients, um, this dermatologist emailed me and said, hey, I heard about your product. Could you send me some more samples? So that's how we started building a small but loyal following in the dermatology world because ChopSaver is very effective for the side effect of one of the drugs that they, com that they most commonly prescribe, mm. especially for their young patients. So did I, again, you know, the, the, the accidents or the things that come out of, you think you're doing this, and yes, maybe I've solved the problem for a few trumpet players. I mean, even actually early on, it, I was so focused on trumpet players, I didn't, wasn't even thinking about woodwind players. And then there was like some clarinet player friends and flute player friends of mine said, hey, I want to try that too. And I thought, oh, that's cool. And then it expanded again to dermatologists. And then it expanded, as more recently, it has expanded to, like I said, cancer patients. Because of, and we can talk, you know, I'm jumping way ahead here, but um, I don't, I'm a musician at heart, but I have not played in public in well over a year. Now, that's true for a lot of right, us because right. of COVID, but even before COVID, I was very clearly, and uh, to go to your question about, you know, when do you know it's time to jump off into something or when is it time to, you know, make a change or why are you doing this new path? I had plenty of opportunities to go back into playing more full time. I had things that would come up that would have taken me off of, or a you know, classic example would be, hey, I'm supposed to be at the Midwest Clinic, or I'm supposed to be at TMEA. I've got a booth, or I'm doing a trade show or something, but I'm going to miss you know, a couple thousand dollars worth of work, of trumpet work. I had to make those kinds right. of decisions. And those are hard those are hard decisions and those are sometimes not comfortable conversations with my wife. Um no, and those we've come to realize that as long as I've been doing this and no, I'm not sitting here talking to you um as a, you know, a, a millionaire or someone who's made a ton of money off of chop saver. 
far from it. Um, I still believe it will. I still believe that the brand and the effectiveness of the product um, still has this incredible um, potential to be a huge brand and be a, you know, a, a very successful brand, which is why I keep pursuing it. But what has happened because of, because of what I was doing anyway, before COVID, kind of like I need to broaden out again, COVID forced me to find a new market. Um, you know, my musician orders just stopped. The music stores stopped ordering. The marching bands was not a thing. The, the it was, people were just trying to survive. They weren't, you know, they were. They didn't know if they were going to have a band, let alone you know play at the football games that year. So I was thought, wow, um, this little idea I've always had of you know trying to branch the brand out or you know get non musicians basically. In, interested in the product, which I always knew I could do, but I thought, well, I'll, I'll do that at the right time. Well, when COVID hit, it suddenly became, I have to do this. <laughs> so in the last six months, um, I've become quite the expert at Facebook ads with with some very good um, training, uh, kind of spent, you know, the equivalent of a good graduate program on, <laughs> on learning, on learning, you know, online marketing, uh, specifically Facebook and Facebook ads. And again, like the same way I sought out a trumpet guru when I needed to compete better, whether it was Don Green or, or a performance like Don Green or or Charlie Geyer, uh, I started seeking out you know, some marketing expertise. And there's a lot of it out there. I mean, you can find stuff online, you can watch YouTube videos, and I encourage people to do that. But Sometimes you just have to really consult with someone who really knows what they're doing, which I am currently doing. And it has uh, been a real eye-opener as to just how online marketing tools can work, specifically Facebook. And what we found is the people that resonate with ChopSaver, at least right now, are women over 45. Non-musician women over 45. Which is a nice market to start dabbling in because it's as big as the musician world is we think it is it doesn't compare to a group right. of 70 million you know u.s consumers that are all that are ready to shop that spend a lot of money on on, on cosmetics or makeup or, or moisturizing type products and to find that i've got a, a cool message here and a great product for women over 45 i never would have um it was interesting people kept saying oh what about skiers or what about boaters or what about runners you know they're always trying to there's like musicians, and then what other groups are there? And I suppose I could market it that way, but Facebook, being the incredible marketing tool that it is, kind of showed me, here's your new, here are your new people. I'm a middle-aged dude. My wife is, you know, we, we're kind of living in that market. Um, we can relate to those people. I can probably relate to that person now better than I can you know, a 15-year-old high school trumpet player. I mean, I can still remember those days. We just talked about all right. those days. Like, it's still there, but there's just something bigger for me. And I have to, I think you have to keep asking yourself, what is that? Yeah. Just like you're doing. There's something different and bigger for me that's not just the trumpet. Um, because, and I don't mean to be a downer about it. I, none of us know what the music world, especially the classical music world, is going to look like for the next three, four, five years. Um, 
And so for me to kind of pivot the product to a market that's never going to go away, it's never going to be, I don't want to say it's recession proof, but it has proven to be um, a great place for us to try to take the brand and take the, take the product. Well, one of the things that is really interesting to me about what you just said, about we, none of us know what's going to happen, is, you know, I'm a very big believer that first and foremost, music should be something that enriches our lives. But when it turns into our career, right. it kind of stops enriching our life and it starts to just become this thing we're stressed out about. And what you're, right. what you're proving, what I'm hoping to learn for myself is that like there are other avenues that we can exist in as human beings that that right. like that that we can do like we're not just like I'm a musician cuz that's why I was asking you about like making this choice is because many of us myself included I've battled with this for sure like I made this choice to be a musician and being a musician is this really altruistic and really beautiful like you are serving a higher calling like you can't leave right. you know right. <laughs> if you leave it's like you weren't you weren't, weren't willing to work hard enough, but I would be willing to argue that the work you've done in the last 15 years is probably significantly, I, w I don't know about harder, but it's like all on you as opposed to the trumpet playing thing. You just do the trumpet playing thing and then you develop your skills and then there's like, like you're trying to figure out what your market is right now, right? But when you're a trumpet player, right. like people right. will, when they want a trumpet player, like as long as you're, as long as there's not too many of them, like you were talking about. So the point I'm making here, and I would love your 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 input. The point I'm making is, it will be increasingly more important for us as musicians to be able to consider the idea that we can do more, that there are oh, other avenues that we can explore, and that um, being a musician is very difficult, yeah. but it's not inherently significantly more difficult than any other career path. Right, right, and I would say the the single you know the singleness of purpose and the fact that I don't mind literally work. I mean, I've got a home office. You know, the great thing about having a home office is your work is right there. The bad thing about it's having right a home there. office is your work yeah, is right yeah. there. <laughs> it's just the, it's the classic joke. Um, setting boundaries for myself, setting boundaries for my wife. You know, she's got her career, she's got her students, she's got her things that she's trying to do because of COVID to. To branch out into she's actually much more involved in chop saver than she ever was um you know by design and also by necessity that you know she has more time on her hands and now i can say well you know i'd really like your idea because you are my target market now um and what do you think of this what do you think of this and um you know I, there was i even had a little a marketing piece and it was i like doing rhymes and poems and things like that. And I had this really cool rhyme for this ad I was going to put out. And she was, no, don't use that word. That, that, and I don't remember what the word was, but that word might be funny or appealing to a 20 year old trumpet player, but to a 55 year old woman there, that's the wrong word. I said, okay, great. You know, yeah. that's, and that's cool. I'm using her instincts or taking advantage of her instincts, you know, as a woman who happens to be old, over 45 to, to kind of step into this new market. But yeah, I mean, we're seeing our colleagues, I don't know what it's like where you are, but um, I, Frank, sadly, I don't think, so that it doesn't sound bad five years from now on tape, um, some orchestras are doing a better job of dealing with COVID than others. I'll just leave That's it That's an objectively true creative. fact, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, and because of that, we're seeing some people who are now 
you know, into real estate. We're seeing people who are getting trained to be an electrician. We're seeing these are friends of ours who are who were full-time musicians who are now are being forced to find other, you know, not just to make a buck, but you know, to be creative and hopefully also make a dollar. Um, and I so this is not a you know out of out of chaos always comes you know, opportunity. So and that's not me. That I didn't coin that phrase. That but that's it's always been true. Um, and I think if we as musicians, if I can still speak as a musician, as musicians going forward from COVID, hopefully what we come out of this is. Hey, being well-rounded or having knowing how to read a balance sheet or knowing the basics of marketing or knowing uh, the basics of you know how to present you know of the power of social media, those are all positives. And if you aren't thinking about if you're just thinking about the Tchaikovsky Violin Concerto or you're just thinking about pictures at an exhibition, and yes, you 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 have to be really devoted to those things to be good at it and win an audition, but um in the new world we're going to be into i don't think that kind of singularity on such a specific task is going to be rewarded like it may have been in the last 20 years i hate that's i hate to say that but i just think as people it will serve us well to be a little more open to other other ways of expressing ourselves and 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 for earning a living. Yeah, I mean that's a big part of what I'm experiencing in exploring what it is to be a coach and making social media content with the goal of trying to make a clear message that other people can hear and then possibly benefit from. That's been right. an insane process in my life. It seems so simple. Oh yeah. But being able to clearly yeah. no, say something and then have them get the <laughs> message you want them to hear is like why is that hard as oh, hard yeah. as it as it seems to be. Yeah, so there's a there's some there's some famous video product videos out there. I don't know if you saw the Squatty Potty oh, yeah. and uh, um, Poopery and um, some other and, and the ads are done by a company called uh, Harmon Brothers. They're an ad agency in Utah, and so I follow these guys. And they and now they're putting out their content and, and kind of teaching some of these techniques. And the, you know, again, it's like you go to the teacher. And the teacher tells you what you already know, but the teacher tells you the most basic thing over and over and over again. And you still go back to that teacher, right? And these guys, as good marketing teachers, they said, what if someone watches your commercial, they're going to watch the first three or five seconds of it. And whether it's you as a, as a performance coach, you're building a brand, essentially. You're trying to, what's my message? What's my brand? How am I different from other te teachers? And they, their, their point was, if someone only listens to you for three to five seconds, which is what they're going to do when they're scrolling mm -hmm. through their feed, what do you want them to remember? Well, if I lead with, hey, I'm a trumpet player, Arnica, trumpet, you know, lit, you know, I've already lost them, even though those are all really cool. And it's, I had to finally boil it down to, I, well, what I'm saying to essentially a non musician is, I guarantee no more chap lips. Right. It's not now. And then if that, if they suffer from chap lips, now they're in my, you know, in my sights, then I can go with the, Oh, and here's sure. why I'm a trumpet player. I've been dealing with lips all my life. I came up with this formula. I thought that da, 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 da. you can't lead with that. You've got to, what's the hook? 
what is it people are looking for that you you think you have an answer for and you can answer that question in three to five seconds and so i've really had to just force even though i love the creativity of perfect example i'm i'm sort of semi-famous in the music world for a video i did a couple years ago where i'm throwing all I these remember that one, yeah. and you can still see it and it got literally millions of views but it got views of people just oh look at him throwing instruments isn't that funny or it's shocking or he shouldn't be doing that it wasn't that that ad to be quite honest didn't make me a millionaire not even close i mean it got some notoriety and it got some chuckles and i'm very proud of it it was a lot of fun to do because it was a family project i did it with my son and my nephew and you know i wouldn't change it for for anything but as a selling tool it is lacking in certain ways. It may have gone, quote, viral, but it didn't sell a lot of yeah. shop savers. One of these, I just bought this book. It's called The Narrative Gym. And he talks about this narrative framework called the ABT, which is and, but, therefore. And so you start off with an agreement statement and then you say the problem and then the T is the therefore, right? And you get one singular problem. So like that's part of a marketing is like, if you're saying two separate things or you're saying one thing with all these caveats, like what's the important part? So it helps really right. boil it down. And then what you're talking about, he recommends it in the therefore, which is your solution. You say what the thing is. And then you say all of the details about it rather than because it's like it's there's like space from what I understand, there might even be science behind like why that works. Because we get yeah. the thing, we yeah. get the thing we want. We get that resolution like right away of this problem, this tension spot. And it's kind of it reminded me of what you were just talking about. Uh, I think it's a fascinating book. I read it in two hours while taking notes. It's like super quick to read, but it really changed my understanding of like, and I practice it all the time now. Every single social media um, caption I make is an ABT because I just want to practice it every single time. Because basically it turns my captions into stories, right? Instead of just like, I, I made this YouTube video, <laughs> right? It turns right. it into like a story, like here's something, but here's this problem. And here's why this video exists now. And, you know, like right. if it takes them, you know, it might take them 10 seconds to read. So I might lose them for a second or whatever. But like you said, the people that care possibly about the things that I'm doing that might give me 15 seconds of their time, right? Then you might like, you, just, yeah, you right. then told them a story that they might even be able to relate to. What's the name of the, the book? narrative, Jim? I forget. Randy Olson, I think is who, who wrote it. There's so much good stuff out there and I don't, I don't. That's but, relatively new. I probably within the last like I found yeah. this podcast. You might be interested in this one's called the the story, the business of story, by a guy named Park Howell, and he just interviews people on marketing and how to use story to to drive you know all that kind. Of, it's been fascinating. Cool. But anyway, I guess the, the whole now. idea is, and I kind of want to ask you just some specific questions about ChopSaver because they're things I would be kind of yep. just from my own perspective. Um, the first one would be. Like I can totally identify with the chapped lips conundrum problem and how ChopSaver solves that. But for someone like me who never has chapped lips ever in my life, what is there benefit for me to do it in some sort of preventative care? What are, what's possible? Are there any possible issues that someone could run into in yeah. that regard? Because the things that I don't talk to my current market about are things like bruising and swelling. So it for me the the thing I was looking for was what, you know, yeah, we're not supposed to think about how our chops feel. And I, 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 I agree with that. We're kind of going back to our discussion of wind and song. 
if, if there's, you know, if your chops just feel like crap all the time, there's something wrong. You're doing something wrong. They shouldn't yes. feel that bad all the Definitely. time. <laughs> now, having said that, if you've just played a week of Mahler or you've just, you had an eight hour recording session and you played more than you normally do, or you had a five hour salsa gig that didn't get out till three o'clock in the morning, you know, that's a lot of physical stress on a part of the body that's, you know, it's not the bicep. It's not our, it's not our quads. It's our lips. They're very, you know, there's the skin on them is very thin. We ask as trumpet players, we ask them to do a lot. Uh, they can swell up. They can get bruised. That's where Chop Saver, that's what the Arnica does. And not just Arnica, there's actually five herbs that have, you know, that are clinically proven. I didn't just pull things that had pretty sounding <laughs> names. I mean, White Willow, for example, is where aspirin originally came from. You know, so aspirin came out of this White Willow herb. This the basic, uh, the basic, um, the way aspirin behaves in our body is essentially the same as when you use White Willow. So I put some of that in there. Um, so there's an analgesic. There's there's you know, takedown swelling. Um, people tell me that after a long day, when they put it on overnight, you know they're they're not nearly as tender or puffy as they might be the next day. Um, so that kinds of those kinds of things. Yeah, I never really had chap lips per se much I, myself, um, but I realized that's for the non musician. That is the beauty, or that is that is the what chop saver can help them do. Now. I've even had people say uh, it's prevented cold sores. It does not have per se. I mean, I didn't treat, go out to create that product, but for some people, that's it's actually doing that, um, and they swear by that that statement. Um, people are using it on cuts and bee stings, and that's why now I'm trying to develop you know new products kind of based on the formula. So. Yeah, if it's especially if you live in kind of a balmy climate, it's not like Indiana where the weather changes constantly. Yeah, some of those issues might not be as as, as severe. But if you live in Denver or you live in Phoenix, you live someplace that's really dry, you know, a, play, a product like Chop Saver can be can be a lifesaver, even if you don't get quote unquote chap. One, I mean, one thing that you just said about you know bruising and swelling and stuff like that can very much be related to what you described about how you played in lots of ensembles when you were younger and you were doing right. that and like there's yeah. there's no doubt that like there's swelling at minimum if not bruising going on and i remember when i was in school this happened to me a few times actually where i would get like this maybe it was like a cold maybe it was like a sore or like a zit or something like right. that but at times maybe it would just yeah. be bruised but it's like why well, have all these ensembles yeah. to play in you know so, yeah, I yeah. feel like that's, a, I mean, maybe not in COVID times, right? But I think that's a reality right, for right. a lot of, especially music students, is they just have so much playing and we haven't learned to develop a level of efficiency to deal with those playing demands. And so on top of that, there's people who probably feel like I have to practice all of these hours to learn all this music and do this. So like we're definitely probably having an epidemic of people with swell, like swollen lips who maybe don't even realize it, you know, and like, just right. being willing to try. Hi. That's his wife. Noel just walked in. How's it going? Good to see you. I guess you can't hear me, can't she? <laughs> uh, anyway, so I was, Brian I was just hi. curious from, um, from that perspective of like, it, for me, it can get so easy to get the blinders on about the chapped lipped parts and forget about like, it's right. not just about, that's like one of the things, reasons it's different, I imagine, from all these other lip care products is it's not just about right. saving, you know, moisturizing, but rather it can. Right. And, but it's interesting people that, 
come to it as non-musicians generally have said, I've tried everything for my chapped mm. lips. And oh, by the way, chop saver is the best thing for chapped lips. And then I, you know, I'll say, well, if you ever take up the trumpet, you know, then you'll really <laughs> right, love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, 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 you know, we're talking about playing a lot. Well, who plays more than some of these poor kids in these high school marching bands that are highly competitive and they're playing the same thing over and over and over for three months as they get ready for their competitions, whether it's morning band practice or after school band practice, or they, they do two shows on the weekend. You know, that's brutal in itself. And I think that's why it, it was so popular and still is, but was so popular in the marching band world because those guys are really, and, and you have probably a lot of young players that aren't going to pursue a career in music and, and maybe aren't, as aware of how to treat their body or maybe they have a band director who's a little bit ignorant about the rigors of playing or they've got a band director who's a percussionist and they doesn't really understand he or she doesn't really understand making those trumpet players play that thing one more time is not a good idea <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you know no pain no gain does not always does not work in the in the in the brass playing world so there's that and um you know i would i'd love to you know one of the things that spurred me on early on and i talk about this in that video series that i created um that's available on my blog at shopsaver.com where i had this idea but a couple weeks into it i was made aware of or i had i had been unaware that there was this huge marching band competition in indianapolis every november it's you know the music for all bands of america grand nationals were the best high school marching bands in the country come every November to compete. And when I saw that event in you know May or June or whatever it was, I was early in my creation, I thought, hey, November, I can have my product ready for that. <laughs> I mean, it was a crazy, audacious thing to think and consider. I didn't, I mean, again, I would, I didn't realize what I was saying, but I almost did it. And it was, I talked about you know deadlines and goals really force us, whether it's a recital or an audition, or an appointment or an interview, it forces you. You've got a line in the sand. I have to perform or I have to be ready on this date. So I had this idea that I was going to have this product ready, manufactured, ready to go, essentially, you know, like six months. And I almost did it. Um, it actually finally came out like a month after that. But because I had that, as crazy as it might have been, goal in front of me, a lot of stuff happened that summer in terms of the creation and, and starting a company and finding a manufacturer and, and you know learning all these things that I've now become a bit of an expert on just having lived through it for all these yeah. years. Um, but those things happened very quickly because of that marching band competition. So the product will always have that as part of its story and its lineage. Um, but I think it can be, you know, so much sure, more. Sure. Uh, what do you, in your experience, um, what do you feel like have been things that have uh, stood in your way? You know, whether it's like other brands or people's lack of understanding or what, like well, what, what different things have stood in your way? Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's this little company called Chapstick. There's this little company called Burt's Bees. There's this little company called uh, Listech. I mean, if you think about what, I was setting out to try to do in a, in this space of huge brands that are owned by, you know, huge corporations. I mean, the chapstick as a brand, you know, it's one of those that's 
has become the noun, like Kleenex or Band-Aid. They, don't, they, they call this thing, they don't, no one says, oh, I love my lip balm. I love my chapstick. Oh, you're selling chapsticks. Yeah, wow. Um, yeah, I didn't so think this, about it from that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. There's, and yet there is, it's a huge, it's like a billion dollar market. So I still believe there's, there's a flavor and a, and a, and a, and a, and a product for everybody. I also believe that some of the older brands, the ones that are petroleum based, Petroleum-based products would be your chapstick or, you know, straight Vaseline or uh, Blistex or Carmex, certainly. Um, and they also have some other chemicals that I'm not a fan of, like camphor and menthol. Um, those are, but, you know, those are the ones you see at the checkout at the gas station or the drugstore or, you know, those are brands that have been on a long time. So kind of crazy to think that I could break into that. And yet now with marketing and the internet, being what it is and how it is niching all of us, you can find your niche. You can find your your um, your tribe, if you will. You can find that those hundred thousand people you need, or ten thousand people you need, to become loyal users to build a brand and, and create a company upon. Um, but yeah, that was that's been a huge part of it. You know, why is this different from chapstick? It looks just like chapstick. So there's that. Um, just the the personal struggles that you go through to start a business that you know saying yes to this means i have to say no to that um saying yes to this opportunity or something that might not pay off for years down the road but i've got to say no to i mean in fact i was actually um forget where this happened in your relation to the indianapolis symphony but there was a time no i think it was when um I think it was when tom left they needed another fill-in and i could have had that fill-in job again and i said no to it and it's again it was one of those hard conversations that i had to have with my family about you know i could kind of go back to this but i still feel like my ultimate future my 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 calling is to take this product and shepherd it and get it into the into many people who really need it as possible and that's going to be really hard that's not going to be um, a quick payoff. It's just not. Whereas I could take this job and have a salary for weekly salary and all that for another year. And then I'll probably have to say goodbye to that job again at some point. That was a really hard decision. Um, but it's one I just can't, you know, you can't go back. Um, and the, 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 the knowing that I made the right decision is still playing out because this is just such a, the process of building a brand. You know, we didn't even talk about, you know, I actually got the product into CVS, but did not have the marketing dollars behind it to make that really, really successful. And so after two years, we are no longer in CVS. That happened a couple of years ago. But I'm realizing now, and many people have already, you know, came to this conclusion long before I did, you don't need to be in a major retailer. If you've got a really a website that's properly optimized or you're selling on Amazon, which we do both, and you can now market directly to people, you don't need to be in a major retailer. I mean, that maybe still might still be in the brand's future, but it's not what I need to do. And I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I actually got it into CVS. That's a huge accomplishment. Um, and that's a whole nother story. But because the world has changed so much, and again, because of 
in, in hyperspeed because of COVID. People just buy everything online. Right. Whereas when, when I first came out, yeah, you could buy Chopsaver on my website, and I still have framed the first online purchase from 2005 through my website. So yes, people were buying Lip Balm online that long ago, but not very many people. It was still kind of weird. Now, nothing is weird. <laughs> you can literally buy anything online, and people won't bat an eye over it, whether it's food, um, clothing, shoes. Uh, my wife just got some shoes the other day d- delivered. I said, okay, buying shoes online, is that's a little risky, isn't it? I mean, don't you normally like to try on a pair of shoes? And she said, well, they, they promised these things which fit. And it turns out they didn't. Um, <laughs> so it's not always 100%. Right. But pretty much anything else, especially if it's a brand you know and like, and that's where we're building you know, a following. People like it. They're used to ordering it online. Oh, I, I'm, I'm just about out. I'll place another order. Or they've got it on their Amazon, on their cart, in their cart on Amazon and just it's one click away. Yeah, and that's the kind of the the last question I would have because this is, again, we were talking about it before we came on the on the show or whatever, but this idea of ritualization, like how do we get it so chop save, like lip balm is synonymous with chop saver instead of like, right, what does that right. process look like beyond, like you said, the testimonials, which I would be interested in your, like you were talking about your perspective. You did a live stream of it. I saw, um, I think like a week ago or, or maybe not even that long ago. Um, I'd yeah. just be curious, you know, what that looks like for you and, and, and how you have seen people like, like I said, ritualize this into this is the lip balm that they buy and what that feels yeah. like. Yeah, and you get those kind of... In fact, I'm going to find it here real quick because it was... Yeah. Hi, Dan. I love Chopsaver lip balm. I have used so many different lip balms before coming across yours. I'm so glad I found Chopsaver. None of the other lip balms compare to Chopsaver. Not only does it soften my lips, it takes all the chapping away from my lips. This is the only lip balm I use. Why look any further when you find something that really works? Thank you and take care and thank you for such a wonderful product. That's, it's you know, be a, I couldn't have written that better it's myself. It's got to be a cool feeling too, and I, you know? It is. It's a very cool feeling. And then you, you just know that there are literally thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people out there who probably are just kind of putting up with what they've been using. They're just, well, this chapstick, I don't, you know, I paid a dollar for it. I don't expect that much for it. But it kind of works. And then I put it on again. Then I put it on again. Then I, you know, and that's what people are kind of amazed about Chopsaver is how long it lasts. I guess that would be another, you know, the big selling point is you're not going to be addicted to it. You're not going to feel like you have to put it on every five minutes. You literally can put it on a couple times a day, maybe even just once a day, and, and you're good. And that's what people who are used to the petroleum based products or have just been using a Carmex or even a Burt's Bees or anything else. That's what they're so amazed by. This this combination of things that I came up with has incredible um, is incredibly durable, and yet it doesn't. It's not thick. It's not greasy. It doesn't make your lips look weird. I just and as for musicians, I just say it just makes your chops feel normal mm. again. It's not tingly. It's not cooling. If you want tingle and cooling, you know, there's other products. I don't believe in tingle and cool. I think that means your lips are actually more irritated. You might think that's a kind of an interesting feeling, but I just want them to feel normal and like they can work again, um, whether you're a musician or not. And I've, I've had some nice testimonials from um, actors, people that they, they like the way it makes them look on camera. It doesn't, again, it's very long lasting, but it doesn't give a, create a shine. It just makes their lips look good on mm. camera. 
you know, if I could get that message out to, to the, the acting world. So, you know, the, 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 um, the hurdles are, I don't have the marketing budget of a Burt's Bees or a Chapstick or a, an EOS or some of these other brands. I mean, I don't have, you know, one-tenth of one percent of their budget. So I've got to be very creative. Um, at some point, I think I will get some more uh, assistance, uh, funding, investment, whatever you want to call it, to help me bridge those, bridge that gap where sometimes it just, you can be, you know, aside of, aside from something just going viral or a celebrity out of the blue picks you up, sometimes you just need some sure, dollars sure. to do what you're doing. And I think I'm doing a lot of things right. I would like the amplification that comes with more money behind yeah. it. Like if I've got a Facebook ad that's really working well, I can still only put so much behind it. Like I put a couple hundred dollars behind it. I'd like to put a couple thousand dollars behind it or $10,000 behind that one ad and really blow yeah. it up. Well, this has been awesome. I really appreciate. I don't know if you have any more final oh, me thoughts. Too. Um, I was just gonna give you a chance to. I don't know. I, I mean, I gave you kind of a lot of my backstory, the creation story. There's a there's a whole thing in between. <laughs> you know, those first couple of years of when I realized what I really stepped into. Kind of like we were talking about earlier. What musicians also need to know: um, a marketing class, a business class, an accounting class. Sure, would be good to pick up along the way going forward. I wish I had had those. Um, I kind of rely on other people for some of those stuff, for some of that stuff now, but I've certainly learned a ton just being a marketer and trying to market um, because everything kind of comes down to that. You know, if you, you want to be heard or you want to influence people, or if you want people to hire you, yes, you, you need to play well, but you also need to, um, you know, let's say you're a DJ or you want to do, um, you want to work uh, high-end parties or weddings. You have to get along with people. You've got to schmooze. You've got to have a nice presence in your brochure or your website. I mean, all that stuff. And then you, and then if you're the harpist or whoever, or the string quartet or the DJ, yeah, you get down to playing your stuff. That's the easy right. part. It's it's the dealing with your clients and your potential customers in a way that looks clean and professional and sets you what's different about you and what you're trying to figure out you as you, as a, as a master teacher, figuring out your brand. But if you can do that, you know, the rewards are, are, are incredible. Yeah. And it's, and then you've got another source of income. You've got another stream of where it's not just, uh, I'm going to teach lessons or I hope I win this job. That's, that's, that's just too Well, and it's also, so there's, yeah, we it's could, not scalable either. Right. <laughs> like, that's the, oh, right. that's the thing exactly. that's, I, I, when I first started digging into this like social media type stuff, I was really like, I was talking a lot about this idea that our, our field is a very one-to-one -one relationship. And I was yes. like, I'm really yes. interested in this one to 1000 relationship and like what that, right. what that right. is, what that could look like. Um, and I mean, yeah. I, I obviously many other people have figured it out. Like, it's not like I thought of the, of the new, but that's so interesting to me because like, there's potential in that for scaling, you know, instead of it's just like I'm limited by time. Now, right. I think yeah. that's the that's the thing I'm I'm interested in. So like I value my time so much differently now than I ever have before because I recognize that that's yeah. actually the thing that I can't expand. Yeah. Right, right. 
you can just get better at using it. And if you, but if you create a product, you put some time into creating something cool and it can live online and someone can buy it while you're sleeping. Right. You know, that's the Because you obviously goal. need to spend so, yeah, time would, with your family and you need to be able to like do your yeah, own right. stuff and go on walks or right. work, you know, like all of this kind of stuff that right. you need to do for you to make sure like that's part of your time as well. Like you, and you got to sleep yeah. at some point. So it's like, we can't, yeah, I, I think before I valued my time, I was just like, I'll just do more if I need to. But you like, I'm actually like relatively maxed out. And then you're like, okay, well, what if I want to do something else, yeah. you know? Right. Right. Yeah. And that can, then that comes down to either making choices about what you, where you spend your time or you find people to help you, people that can do certain tasks for you. Um, Yeah. Those are tough decisions anyone has to make along the way. And I I make them, you know, have to make those uh, daily. So yeah, we, we covered a lot. There's a whole other, we could go on for a couple more (laughs) hours. I know you don't want to bore your listeners with all that, but I'm, you know, Best place to find me is chopsaver.com. My, my main platforms are just Facebook and Instagram, chopsaver. Um, used to be chopsaver guy on Twitter. I don't really, I might even still have an account, but I don't pay much attention to Twitter. It's just, can't do everything. Yeah. I even have people say, hey, you need to be on Pinterest. I'm like, oh my God, I don't even know what, <laughs> yeah. where, what, that would, what that would look like. But there's, there's a lot of opportunity out there. But you have to make wise choices as, as which ones you leverage, which ones work for you, and what works for in your lifestyle. So check him out there uh, on his website or Facebook or Instagram. Um, I have used it in the past, right? Like because I don't have chopped lips or chapped lips, chopped lips, nice. Um, right. And it's not something that really comes to my mind. But I have used it in the past, maybe when I was you know playing more and inefficient in school and stuff. And I mean, the one I liked the SPF one a lot. Yeah, that's being a big yeah. seller. And again, that came out of, again, dermatologists like the product because it has SPF. I put the product, I put SPF in the product though because of marching yeah, band. Yeah, interesting. And, and drum corps. Makes sense. So again, yeah. so I, I had this reason for doing it. And then the byproduct was it made it all that much more appealing to a group of people that I didn't even know was out there. Yeah. Interesting how things yeah, work. Yeah, for out. sure. Yeah, this has been a blast. It's been fun. I hope it's been, um, uh, we've gone on for nearly two hours here. Well, beyond that, Maybe we'll beyond make it that, a- it's just great to connect with you again, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. You too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, if you need to get, anybody needs to get in touch with me, you all know how to do it, but I have to say it for posterity's sake. Uh, that's not spit.com. Uh, that's not spit on Facebook and Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving it a, uh, a rating and a review on iTunes and don't forget to share it on social media so other people can find it, enjoy it as well. One more time, thank you so much, Dan, for being on my show and talking to us about your stuff. My pleasure. My pleasure, Ryan. Anytime. Uh, I would like to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode of the podcast. And most of all, I would like to thank you for listening. Stay strong, be kind to yourself, never stop growing, and we'll see you next time. Hello, 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 that's not Spit fans, and welcome to the secret message of today's episode. My band director always used to tell me to play the rests. Don't just play the notes, Braden, play the rests. And I found that that's really useful advice for life also. When you have those moments of rest, of peace, be sure to really 
dig into them, really live them. Don't let them pass you by. And remember, 